0: What you truly believe does affect what you do, sometimes with tragic consequences. Well, a day does come though when you do know enough of their language and how they think to explain to them the Word of God. Now the question is this, where do you start? The Bible is a big book, and none of these Mok tribal people had any previous exposure to God's Word. Before we could start teaching, we had to prepare Bible lessons.
1: Our tribal language helper, who was not a believer at that time, was the key to getting the proper Bible terminology we needed. Even before we started to teach, the Mokh seemed to sense a wonderful message was coming. When the teaching finally started, the entire village of 310 people gathered. We never mentioned Jesus Christ until after two months of teaching Old Testament foundational stories. The first day, we began by showing them a map of their village. Then we showed them where the surrounding Mok villages were located on that map. From this point, we explained to them progressively where they were located in relationship to the neighboring tribal groups, where in the province they were located, where the province was located in the country of Papua New Guinea, and where Papua New Guinea was in relationship to Australia, Japan, United States, and Israel. Then we explained how the Bible, God's talk, many years ago had come from Israel to Europe, and then around the world, and was now coming to them, the Mok people. In the second lesson, we discussed how different people groups believed they arrived here on this earth. The Mok people believed they were created by two different birds. When we told them that some people in our country believed they evolved from an ape-like creature, they said, they're stupid. We asked them, out of all of these beliefs, which one is correct? And they said, we don't know. Then we told them, This is why God has given His written word to mankind and it never changes. Starting with God, we explained what He is like, His attributes. Then we told them about Satan and his fallen angels. The mok felt that hell is a fitting place for Satan and that God was right in preparing it for him and his demons. From there we taught them about creation and Adam and Eve and man's choice to sin. We explained how God promised a Savior who would someday come to deliver us from sin. Other Old Testament stories followed in which we emphasized God's greatness and grace man's lostness in sin and helpless condition, and God's provision of a blood sacrifice through the killing of a lamb. Often we use drama to help them understand what we were teaching. When we told how God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it presented a dilemma.
0: Abraham was obviously a godly man, so he would obey God. But it was
2: through Isaac that the Savior of the world was promised to come. I knew that somehow Abraham would obey, but God must save Isaac's life, perhaps with a substitute lamb.
1: Before we finish the story, four different men individually suggested that Abraham would obey God, but God would somehow intervene and save Isaac's life by providing a substitute lamb. They developed a sincere reverence of God and feared daily that God might rightly destroy them because of their sin. They said, we are just like those people in Sodom and Gomorrah. For two months, we taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, They fell in love with him, and Jesus became the Moke hero. They loved him, and they idolized him.
0: Never during the weeks Mark taught did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers, and when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times, the mok were so intense, they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect, and he could do anything. He was God. The day finally came to explain the betrayal by Judas and the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate.
1: Judas' betrayal was upsetting to the most, but they still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the Gospel presentation. At the end of it we said, tomorrow we will finish our talk. The next morning, the people were all gathered before sunrise. I told the story of Jesus appearing before Pilate. The people were very sober. When during our skip they saw Jesus being spit upon, beaten, and finally put to death, they were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them very powerful. The Savior was alive. Then I went back into the Old Testament stories and beginning with Abel, explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac, I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, So Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe! I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that He died in my place. He is my sin bearer.
0: I lived in fear, trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God, in His grace, has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. On that day almost all the village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Mokar are generally a restrained people. But as the gospel sunk in and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened. Village believer stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true, or it's good, it's very true. Village grandma rejoicing that he believes so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itau, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. We've considered your interest in our mission board, and I'm sorry we do not believe you're a missionary material. You'll just be too old and possible.
1: Gloria, don't fret yourself so over those people. Consider your health. You have children.
0: Mark and Gloria, as a church, we are standing behind you. We'll pray for you.
2: We'll support you. Go in the Lord's name. And that's good, huh? We can just say amen and go home. All right? I'd cried the first time. i cried the second time. I think, I've seen that thing a hundred times. I saw it back in 1988 or something like that when I first saw it. And it, it changed me. It changed my life. Powerful. Now, we can segue into a lot of things with that video, you know. We can talk about missions, how important they are, whether you go or support, you know, the mission work. We could talk about the power of the gospel, man, how, how um, that gospel light into a dark place and how it can change lives. We can talk about becoming a new creation, a new cre- creature in Christ, how that change happens and... and um, Just amazing things. But we're going to talk about joy. I mean, if you couldn't tell, they were kind of happy. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit happy there. Now, every Christian has a different experience when, you know, coming to salvation. Some people have that euphoric, you know, uh, emotional high, you might say. Uh, maybe because they realize what God's done and what they, what what they were and, and what God has done for them and doing for them. And, and it's really, you know, a great emotional experience. You know, that one atheist guy that we showed the video for, he talked about how he, that he saw color after he prayed and he got up. He was an atheist and that um, he said, I, just color just looked more vibrant. Just life would looked different, you know. When I got saved, I was 11, and I wasn't an axe murderer or a bank robber or nothing like that, nothing really big on, you know. So my joy, that, that, I, that understanding came after time. As I grew and as I learned, then I, I began to understand. So everybody's different. But the question is, is that do you have, do you have that joy? Did you ever have that joy? I might be so bold to say that if you've never had the joy of the Lord as a Christian there, there might be something wrong because we're going to find out that it is uh, something that's not of you because yeah, the world can have joy you know that the world has love the world has faith the Bible even says the world has a type of repentance called, it's called worldly repentance but those things on a Christian are a whole different level the spiritual level. So I want to talk to you about that today. Restoring your joy. Restoring, restoring your joy. Now, our passage comes from actually half a verse in Psalm 51, verse 12. Just the first part of that, David writes this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what Jesus said. And then, I mean, I'm sorry, David. David said that. He wrote that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then there's actually a second part there about uh, the giving of his free spirit. So we just want to take these what, seven, eight words and look at this and kind of break this down and see um, maybe if we have why we lost God's joy and maybe how to get it back. Now, in the Old Testament, there are 25 Old Testament words about joy that, that are translated in different forms, different words, and 10 New Testament. Make up 150 references to joy in the Bible. Now, that's a lot of verses. Joy is a very complex, I guess you could say, because there's so many facets of it about praise and gladness and, and, and these different things, rejoice and stuff. So really simply, the first thing we look at is joy in this passage is biblical joy is supernatural, supernatural gladness and rejoicing despite circumstances. Now, gladness is the idea, kind of like what's internal, right? It's kind of what's what's in here. You know, I I work at a prison, so um, I you got to be a little intimidating, believe it or not, to work there. I got a lot going against me, (laughs) so I got to have my prison face on. Got to get this scowl on your face a little bit. And I, my wife's laughing at me, and all the time people are like, because people know how I am. I'm usually a chipper kind of person, and they're like, "Fitz, that's what they call me at work. Fitz, what's the matter, man? You, you okay? You down?" I was like, "No, man, I got my prison face on." <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta gotta be tough, man, when I walk in there. All right? So, but gladness, though, is something internal. All right. I mean, you can be in the deepest valley of your life and you can have gladness rejoicing is more of the external now it's not always because you can still rejoice in your heart but i'll tell you what if you got real joy you can't help but come out okay so rejoicing is more of what's outward expression it, in Romans chapter 14, kind, Paul talks about kind of that inward gladness. He says, for the kingdom of God, in Romans 14, 17. Now, remember, the kingdom of God, that's a spiritual kingdom. That's that kingdom that Jesus told to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. See, it's a spiritual kingdom. It says, for well, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. See, it's not anything physical, but it's spiritual. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Supernatural spiritual, you see, that God gives us. Now, for me, re- re- rejoicing. Now, I-, I have this definition for rejoicing. It's having an attitude of thankfulness and appreciation toward God. Having an attitude because, again, rejoicing isn't always expressed outward. Not always. Usually it is. But it starts off with that Attitude. Attitude of thankfulness and appreciation. So that's, that's kind of the, the idea of joy. So uh, David said, restore to me the joy. And I want my joy back, God. I want my joy back. So let's kind of look at the next thing here he says. He said, restore. Restore to me the joy of, the, of your salvation. So joy can be lost. Okay? You can lose your joy. Now, a lot of people go into this verse and say, ah, oh, see you can lose your salvation. But that's not, he's not talking about that. There was a lot of verses and a lot of of Bible digging about this truth called eternal security for the believer. We don't have time to really go into that. But Paul put it really simply in Galatians chapter 3 when he said this. He wrote to the Galatians who were trying to do deeds of the law to earn their salvation or really keep their salvation. This is what he said. He said, this only I, I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? did you have to do anything to get saved how many of the commandments did you have to do to get saved did you oh you missed one uh, you got to keep at least eight out of the ten to be saved i'm sorry you missed seven you know or whatever you only got seven out of the ten you know, what what did you have to do to be how much did you have to get any money did you have to do any good works what well we say of course not well he says Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of faith? The hearing of faith. He says, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, if it took the Spirit of God to save you? You couldn't save yourself. He says, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, how can you keep what you couldn't earn in the first place? You see? So he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the joy of your salvation. Now, granted, there's many things in a Christian life that you can lose. You can lose your, your peace, right? You can lose your faith. That's not mean your salvation faith. It means you just lose your faith that you think God will come through, right? Like I always said, I believe God can. I just don't believe God will. God can do anything. I just don't think he's going to do it for me. You can lose your love. John told us that in Revelation. You can lose your rewards, you can lose your blessings, you can lose your fellowship. You can't lose your relationship, but you can lose your fellowship with God. You can lose your joy. So David said, man, restore. I lost my joy. God, restore the joy of your salvation. Now, basically, in, in my simple mind, there's really only two reasons, you might say, for someone to lose their joy. Really, I mean, there's a lot of Bible details about it, but really just two simple things. The first is due to disobedience. Disobedience. Disobeying what you know God wants you to do as a sure-fired way to lose your joy. Now, David, in this Psalm 51 that he wrote, he said this in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, David wrote Psalm 51. If you go at the beginning of that psalm and verse 1, some translations have it as part of verse 1. Others have it kind of like as an intro to the uh, verse 1. But it says there that David wrote this psalm when Nathan the prophet confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba and his uh, part in the death of her husband. And that whole sinful mess that he got himself into. Man, that's what he's writing this. Man, I lost my joy, Lord. My disobedience. Disobeying what we know God wants us to do. That's a surefire way. Second is due to living. Due to living the Christian life. Just every day, Trugging through whatever just trying to do what God wants you to do trying to just trying to live and then just you got financial problems you got marriage problems you got health problems you got kid problems you got dishwasher problems you got wash machine problems I got a question is a wash machine when it Agitates. Is it supposed to like go for a while? It, our our washing machine makes four little sounds, arr, 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 and that's it. You hear the water splash. Done. Twenty minutes. It sits there, drains the water out, fills it back up, arr, 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 arr. sits there for another fifteen minutes, drains it out. Your clothes are washed. <laughs> you know, it's like man, man just. Life just day after day things just chip away at your joy. Just chip away. And next thing you know man it's just that joy of the lord's gone. Just life has just sapped it from you. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3:13 he says but as for you brethren do not grow weary in doing good. Paul knew that. Paul knew that that's that's something that can happen. He actually said it twice. He says again in Galatians chapter 6, he says, let us not grow weary. I like how this word, let us not grow weary while doing good. Man, here you are trying to do good, trying to do right, and just life chips away at your joy. He says, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. So disobedience and then just life takes our joy from us. Not only does he say that, look, what he goes back to that verse. He says, restore to me, restore to me. Now he could just say, restore the joy of your salvation. But I think him putting there, restore to me, that's that personal. That's it's from his heart. Okay. Just because you know you lost your joy isn't good enough. There has to be a desire in you to want it back. And we tell our kids all the time, um, Man, you've got to live the Christian life on your own. You can't, you can't ride on our coattails. It says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, Paul said this, As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. So Paul said, Man, when I was with you guys, we were, we were at church together, and I was up there preaching and teaching, and we were, man, people were getting saved, and things were good, and I was there. It was easy to follow because, man, hey, we're going to remember Paul's preaching tonight. So, uh, man, remember what he preached the night before? I mean, sometimes they were meeting every week when they were doing this. And Paul says, but not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now Paul's not there. He's writing them a letter. He tells them to work out your own salvation. That means doesn't mean work out like you've got to work for salvation with fear and trembling. Because the very next verse, verse 13, says, for God worked in you. God worked salvation in you. So God worked it in. It's time to work it out, which means to to exercise it, to, to make it come out here. I shouldn't. Where I should go, what I look at, what I do, what I say, that's the workout. I had one of my kids talking to them about reading the Bible and all that. And that particular child told me and said, you know, back when we were kids and you would tell us, hey, you can't play with your toys until you read your Bible, you know. And do your prayer, you know, trying to instill that. As a parent, you you think you're trying to do right. He said, you know, being made to do that, it just, I just now kind of shriek from it. And I said this to the child. I said, all right, you remember when I used to make you take a bath and, and you didn't like that? How come you sit in the shower for 30 minutes now using all my hot water? You don't seem to mind it now when I made you as a kid take a bath because you love that shower. It comes from the heart, you see. So it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be personal. You've got to want that joy back. It's not just knowing you need it. Now, the last thing here of this verse when he says of your salvation which is the source of divine joy. Okay? Now, a lot of times in the Bible, it talks about um, my salvation. You know, oh Lord, thank you for my salvation. I, I joy or rejoice in my salvation because, it, you know, God does give it to me. It's, it's mine, he, he gives it to me as a gift. But here, the emphasis is on where the source of the divine joy comes from it's your salvation. It came from you, God. And so does my joy, it comes from the Lord can't muster it up, can't can't work it up, right? It comes from God. That's why I said it's supernatural. It's supernatural. So I think understanding the source of joy is the key to restoring it, or better yet, never losing it in the first place. So we're going to look at five things, five kind of truths, you might say, of uh, where this joy comes from and how we can get it back if we've lost it the first is when we understand who salvation is from when we understand who salvation is from in luke chapter 15 verses 4 through 7 it says this jesus said what man of you having a hundred sheep right if he loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it long time ago, my son Cody went missing. We were at, we had a Christian school. He wasn't old enough to be in actual class, so he was kind of like in a daycare. And uh, we couldn't find him. And so you got these teachers and all these students, and we started running around, Cody, Cody, yelling, Cody, throughout the whole church. And then we couldn't find him in the church, so we ran outside, and we had people running. We were kind of in a wooded area, so people running down into the woods and all around yelling, Cody, Cody, and uh, uh, looking. Maybe we thought maybe he fell asleep somewhere. We checked all the pews, and we um, I mean just screaming through this church, Cody, Cody. Well, I mean, after about 10 minutes, I mean, because you don't want to. You, you, I guess in your mind, you're like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. This can't be happening. This, this can't really be true. And Maybe he's just somewhere. And so here I pick up the phone, about to call the police, and I start You know, pressing 911. And Cody jumps out underneath the desk in my office. Here I am. He's about five, six years old. Now, do you think, I rejoice that I found my lost son? Oh, joy, oh, joy, son. Come to daddy. That boy regretted that day. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, I was happy to see him. He'll never forget that day, I'll tell you what. But you know what? In verse 5. So he goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays lays it upon his shoulders rejoicing. Man, God was happy when he found you. He rejoiced the day that he found you, and you turned to him in faith, trusted him. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy, more joy, in heaven heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. The God of all creation, the Lord of glory, actively and willingly sought you out. Sought you out so that he could have a a relationship with you as your father, as your savior, as your friend. That's who your salvation comes from. Understand that, and that'll help you have joy. Not only that, When we realize the debt that is owed. When you realize the debt that you owe. uh, In Luke chapter 7, Jesus again says this um, saying. Therefore, he said, I say to you, said to these people that were gathered around, her sins. Now, here's this particular lady, which was a sinner in their society. That's how they looked at her. He came, or I'm sorry, she came and she... Uh, in the house of Simon, the, uh, he was Simon the Pharisee. He's not Simon Peter, but he, he was, his name was Simon. He was a Pharisee that followed Jesus, you might say. And they're at his, his house eating, and she comes, and she washes his feet, and she anoints him with oil, and she is broken, and she is weeping, and she is there. And Jesus told a story. He said, hey, let me ask you guys. I've got, got a story for you. There's this debtor. I'm, I mean, there's this creditor, and he had two debtors. One debtor owed him a lot, one debtor owed him a little. And the creditor forgave both. Which one of the two loved him more? And Simon said, um, well, I, I guess the, the one that he forgave more. And he said, that's right. He said, see this, this lady here? All that she's done? He says, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, see, I I got saved when I was eleven, and so I, you know, I I I fell away when I got older, but when I was young and I was in Bible school, I was thinking, man, I guess I could never really love Jesus because I never really did all these bad things that all these other guys I was with, you know, these guys was a a drug dealer here, and this guy was in jail for this, and this guy, you know, did all this stuff, and this lady did this, and I just thought, man, I just, I guess I'm not going to love Jesus. But the more I began to understand really how wicked and rotten i was despite i didn't do all that stuff the more i be i saw how much i owed him see and that's really the key is that you got you know you think too highly of yourself you're not gonna have much joy because you really don't realize what you owe it's so when you see that the, the, you know that the sin and and the wickedness that might not have done murder out here but i sure have murdered in my heart because i've hated some people man i hated them to death Okay. I don't believe in dancing, but I would, do a, I would do a jig on their grave. I'm just telling you right now. See, if you don't see yourself as own much, you're not really having much joy. Paul, who was, everybody says, the greatest Christian, right? He's, he stated that he, under the law, he was blameless. That means that as far, as far as following the Jewish rules and regulations that they had, you, you couldn't really put anything on them. He, he did, dotted his I's and crossed his T's, right? He did all that. But Paul said of himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. I am the, I am the top. I'm the top. Later on, he, another place he said that he was the least of all saints. In Ephesians chapter three, uh, I'm I'm the least, the least of all. I mean, to take the saints that really maybe aren't really living for God. I'm down there below them. That's what Paul said himself. I'm way down there, the least of all saints. That's his view of himself. He 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 understood what he owed to God. Another, third one is when we comprehend the price that was paid. The price that was paid. This passage in Isaiah uh, says this. It says, Who has believed our report to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In Isaiah 53. he says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Talking about Jesus. As a root out of dry ground, he has no form of, or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's no model. He's nobody fabulous. doesn't look appealing. He was just a regular old man. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And when we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and, and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. All we have like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. It says we understand the price that was paid, man, the price of, that Christ paid for us. Willingly go on to the cross, bear your sin. He just didn't die in your place, we understand. He took upon him all the wrath of God for every person. The Bible says even people who don't believe, he still bore their sins. Even people he knows will never trust him. It doesn't matter. He still bore the, the wrath of God for every sin that you ever committed, will commit, have committed. He bore it all. Comprehend the price of his paid. Number four, we believe the promises of what's ahead. And I should have had ahead, behind, and present. You know, the the promises of God are are all behind us. Your sins are forgiven. Your your past life is gone. Ahead, man, you've got all these great things God has for you. Presently, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, they did a count of Bible promises, right? They found out there was, or they counted, 3,573. Isn't that kind of exact? That was probably, I don't, I don't want to say it again, it's probably a really, really conservative Bible guy did that. <laughs> I would just, only, there's not five, three thousand 3,574, it's only 3,573. But others kind of see there's about 7,000. Like I said before, this is the one time it's okay to be a liberal, okay? We'll go for the 7,000, right? It's a joke, man, that's a joke. It's a joke. If you're a liberal, it doesn't matter. Trying to be funny, okay? The thing is, there's a lot of promises out there. A lot of promises. And when you see the promises that God has, they give you joy. When you believe that, you really believe that, what God has done for you. It says there in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but it is written, I has not ha- eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And then the last thing is when we recognize uh, the need to humble ourselves. David wrote in this psalm, Psalm 51, he said the sacrifices, in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Humble yourself before the Lord. Man, Lord, I have messed up. I lost my joy. I let life chip it away, or I got into sin. I got disobedient, and you took it from me. God, please restore my joy. Now, you know what? Th- that video we watched was only a short video. There's actually a longer video of, the, of, of kind of the backstory of what's going on. And there's actually an e 2. And Etao too was about how these people that were so joyful and glad what God did for them that they went out to their Mook tribe villages around them and did the same thing. It took the gospel to the villages around them and went and presented the gospel and for months taught them the Old Testament and brought those tribes. And then eventually what I read from 2014, they actually began to go to other people groups whose language they didn't know and learn the language and translate their language into the Bible for them and present them the gospel and lead them to Christ. People from that village because they had joy, their joy of what God did for them made them serve their Lord. Uh, questions you had Do you, do you sell the joy of the Lord, or have you let life and disobedience steal it away from you? Let's go, Lord, in prayer again. Father, I thank you for this time I can come and preach, Lord. I just pray that you would help us to recognize, Lord, that our joy, our happiness, all those things faith, obedience that it comes from you, it comes from your spirit, from your power. God, give us the, the ability, Lord, to fall in love with you again and to appreciate, Lord, what you've done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.